Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. It is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and you will hear Father Joe Hudson preach on Luke 10.25. As you listen to the sermon, see if you can answer these questions. The questions. How would a Jew react to a Samaritan touching him? Number two. What was the quandary the Samaritan faced as he made the decision to help the Jew? And three, our well-being is bound to the well-being of others. What does this mean? Proclamation of the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One day, an expert in Jewish religious law raised a question. His intent was to test Jesus. He asked, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus answered him by telling a story. Here is how I might interpret that story. My name is Adam Abbas. I grew up in Neapolis on the western slopes of Mount Gerizim. On most days, if I looked east and up the slope, I could just make out the stone structure of our temple, 
gleaming there on top of Gerizim. Our family has worshipped there for many decades. We would often ascend the mountain to participate in the regular religious festivals. Ethnically and culturally, we were descended from the various nations in this region. At one time, our land was home to the Jewish tribe of Issachar. Later, when the Assyrians invaded, they removed many of the Jews and replaced them with other conquered peoples from all over the vast Assyrian Empire. So I suppose you would say that I come from a very diverse gene pool. Well, because of our diverse racial background, we have been, in general, relatively tolerant people. However, as our land is wedged tight between the Jewish regions of Galilee to the north and Judea to the south, we have had a, shall I say, complicated relationship with our Jewish neighbors. You see, they tend to look down upon us as mixed breeds. Some would even say mongrels. They would rarely travel through our territory or even trade with us. But being a businessman myself, I couldn't afford to be particular with whom I traded. Well, recently my work took me south through Judea, Jewish territory. Well, whenever planning to travel among the Jews, I would always make some additional preparations regarding food and lodging, trying to figure out which lodgings would take me in, being a Samaritan, and what markets would allow me to restock my food supply. Well, everything on this particular business trip began relatively smoothly, with the obvious exception of an occasional Jewish cold stare or off-colored joke about my Samaritan people. As my business was winding down, I had a few final stops to make down along the Jordan Valley, beginning at Tanis on the outskirts of Jericho. The road down to Jericho always put me on high alert, It was a rocky, windy path, and there were many outcroppings and nooks and crannies along the way where bandits were known to hide in wait. So I kept my purse tight to my side. This path was also frequented by the Jews, and I was on watch to make sure I made no cultural misstep that would draw attention to myself. I still remember that day vividly in my mind. It was warm and clear. I had passed a small inn where I stopped for a drink and to take the weight off my road-weary feet before beginning the long, winding descent towards the valley floor. Thirty minutes had passed. A few travelers were moving up westward in the opposite direction while some were descending just ahead of me towards the valley to the east. I was turning a bend in the road to the right when just ahead I saw a dark lump of something that didn't seem to belong just off the right side of the road. I wondered if it might be some large dead animal. As I approached, I could just make out the form of a man. He was barely moving. I could hear his moaning. I saw cuts and blood. Somebody had waylaid this poor stranger. 
I was nervous, wondering if the culprits might still be lurking somewhere nearby. Should I keep walking, or should I risk it and stop to help? I made up my mind and bent over to turn the man over gently and carefully onto his back, and as I did so, I was shocked to see the unmistakable face of a Jew. Instantly, I recoiled, removing my hands. I knew that any Jew would be furious with a Samaritan touching him. And quite frankly, I wasn't too excited with the prospect either. I also wanted to avoid the disapproving stares of any other travelers passing by. And yet, this man, crumpled in front of me, needed help, and no one else seemed to be stopping. In that moment of indecision, I heard a commotion behind me and just up the road. I turned and glanced back. There, descending the path, was a small group of Jews. But not just any Jews, I noticed the unmistakable robe and headdress of the temple religious authority. This was a priest and his assistant. As I watched the priest's face, he seemed to notice the crumpled man on the road, which elicited a look of deep compassion. And yet his compassion quickly turned to concern and then to revulsion when he spotted me, a Samaritan. He quickly turned his gaze back to the front, and the group picked up their pace and moved on. As I knelt there, pondering what to do, seconds seemed like hours. If I helped this Jewish man, I would miss my business appointment, losing out on some necessary income for the family. And besides that, if I reached out to care for this man, my touch would defile him. And yet, if I did nothing, he would surely die. And then again, what had the Jews ever done for me or for my business interests? All they had ever shown me was indifference at best or, at worst, outright rejection. But still, my conscience would not let me turn away from this man in grave need. Well, business deal be damned. In that moment, the cultural and religious differences between us meant nothing. My mind was made up. I reached out and carefully removed the blood-soaked clothing that had congealed to his skin. I grabbed some wine and strips of cloth from the bag on my donkey, cleaned the wounds as best I could, bandaged him up, placed him on the donkey, and returned him to the inn for rest and healing. Well, as Jesus told this story to a devout Jewish lawyer, he concluded by saying this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The man had asked Jesus what was required in order to have eternal life. Jesus responded by telling a story of a Jewish man battered and near death lying alongside a road. And who should come along to care for this man? Well, the obvious answer would have been a fellow Jew. But no, Jesus turned the story radically upside down and inside out. He said the one who cared for the beaten up Jewish man was a despised, hated Samaritan. It was a Samaritan who, in mercy and grace and compassion, 
went way out of his way and way beyond his comfort zone to care for this Jew. Jesus had turned what was considered appropriate social relationships on their head. He was saying, any person in need is your responsibility. Another way to say it was that we are our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper. Bishop Jake Owensby explained it this way. We are responsible for the well-being of our neighbor. Too frequently we focus on individual freedom while forgetting that God also created us to live together in mutual support as family, as children of God. When God asked Cain about his brother Abel's whereabouts, Cain answered, Am I my brother's keeper? This did not go well for Cain, and we should not expect our refusal to be our brother's or sister's keeper to go well for us either. Jesus himself said that whatever we do to the needy, the helpless, the oppressed, and the marginalized, we do to him. We are our sibling's keeper. Our own well-being is bound forever to the well-being of everyone. That's what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. If we look in today's psalm reading, it speaks as well of this matter by posing a question. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The Apostle James said it this way, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say simply, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. As followers of Christ, you and I are our brother's and sister's keeper. But this responsibility actually doesn't just rest on us as Christians. You may be surprised to find out that all three of the Abrahamic religions emphasize using our resources on behalf of those in need. Within Islam, among the five pillars of their faith, the third one refers to the obligation to devote a portion of one's income to relieve suffering, help refugees, victims of environmental disaster, the urban poor, and those in conflict zones. Within Judaism, There is a Hebrew phrase that speaks of this responsibility to care for others. It is the word takum alam, translated as repair of the world. There is a story in Judaism of the divine light contained in a perfect whole world, but the world was broken and shattered into a multitude of pieces by sin. According to takum alam, humanity is responsible for fixing what is wrong in the world, for repairing our world. 
Jesus himself referred to this responsibility when he gave his disciples his model prayer. When he said this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus was calling us to be about the work of restoring our world to God's divine purpose. May you and I be about this work of repairing our world. It will not always be easy. Jesus' story of a good Samaritan going out of his way to care for a Jew hints at how challenging and uncomfortable this work may be at times. But just as that Samaritan could not turn away from a Jew in need, we who carry God's divine loving light within us cannot turn away from our responsibility to be about the work of repairing our world. Amen. How would a Jew react to a Samaritan touching him? Number two, what was the quandary the Samaritan faced as he made the decision to help the Jew? And three, our well-being is bound to the well-being of others. What does this mean?